You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, welcome. G'day. My name's Dave. It's good to have you. How's everybody feeling? Pretty good. Like Matt said, you're very hot. Now, Matt and I, by the way, did coordinate on our outfits this morning. We did ring and we did figure out dark blue shirt, black jeans, sorted it out. So that's good, just in case you were wondering. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. Long weekend. People away today. You figure out who the real Christians are. So thank you for being here. Uh, it's awesome. And we hope, I hope that this is one of the highlights of your long weekend this weekend. Do you remember the first kind of real job you ever had? Do you remember it? I, I, I had lots of different jobs at, at school and at uni, retail and department store, all that kind of stuff. I was a checkout chick chap, as they say, and all those things. But I I remember that that first real job you had, that first full-time job straight out of uni uh, as a grad. I remember it well. Me, a creative musician type, working at a huge multinational insurance firm. It it makes sense, doesn't it? It fits, right? Match made in heaven, not at all. Goodness. I was fresh out of uni, though, needing money. I was living out of home, and I just kind of took the first job that was offered to me. Um, I really have no idea why they hired me, and I often wondered whether it was a favour to somebody. It's an unknown person. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I tell you what, in time, it did become clear what my daily and weekly tasks were, and I sort of got some proficiency in doing them. I did them okay. But I tell you what, I had not much clarity apart from that. It wasn't really clear who my direct report was even, and uh, this might be sounding quite familiar to some of you in the workplace, particularly those huge companies. And my bosses didn't really give me much in terms of my role in my team, and let alone the sort of organisation as a whole. I'd often get to work thinking, what am I doing here? I have no idea what I'm doing. I dreaded that question. Oh, so what do you do here? Because I just didn't know how to answer. (laughs) I I felt like George Costanza from Seinfeld. You know, if you're a Seinfeld fan, this is for you, working at the Yankees, a huge organisation, just hoping he falls between the cracks and nobody takes too much notice of him. That was me. Now, it took me months and months to sort of figure out my role had more to do with the head office of the company I worked with in Europe. No one really kind of pointed this out to me. It had way more to do with what they were doing over in Europe than what my colleagues were doing in Sydney. Uh, Once I... So my actions, they had a direct effect on things happening in Switzerland, not in Sydney. So once I kind of figured that out, my role and my purpose became much clearer. I actually took even some ownership of the work, even in an insurance firm, and I got some, you know, brought some proactivity to the job, finally, with some clarity. I wonder if you've ever had experience like this. You know, it might be in a friendship group or a social group or a music group or a sporting group, something like that. It's probably in the workplace, right, when you just kind of, sometimes you get this feeling like, what the heck am I doing here? My role, my purpose is really unclear. You know, I'd say it's really difficult to do well in that situation, don't you think? When your role, when your purpose is unclear, you just often get the feeling like, what am I doing here? Am I really adding any value to this situation? But with clarity comes the ability to truly flourish. Let me say that again. With clarity comes the ability to flourish. Now, today we're continuing in our series in the Summer Psalms, as Matt said, with Psalm 8, an awesome psalm read so well by Andrew. Together, what are we going to do? We are going to stand in awe at the creative wonder of our great God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stand in awe of the majestic God. But that's not all we're going to do. 
We're going to do that. And then we're also going to witness our identity and our purpose. Okay, that's what we're going to experience in this psalm. This is what it teases out for us. We're going to witness how awesome God is. But then we're going to see our identity and our purpose. It's given with actually crystal clear clarity. And so with that, I believe we can truly flourish. So we're going to explore this by looking at a couple of things. Let's have a look, see if this is working. Oh, great. So we're going to look at the majesty of God, like I said. Then we're going to look at the place of humankind, okay? So our minuteness and our majesty. That's what we're going to look at, our minuteness, and would you believe it, mind-blowingly, our majesty. And then we're going to look at the majesty of God again, sort of 2.0. That'll make sense once we get this. So questions, who is God? Majesty of God, right? Who are we? What's our place? And then who is God again? Up a notch. That'll make more sense when we get there. Now, I realize it is about 29 and a half degrees in here, and I know everyone's fanning the connect cards. We've found a good use for the mat for, as a fan. So I'm asking you to stay with me. I'm going to go as short as humanly possible on this Australia Day weekend, but I need you to come with me. Are you with me? Yes. Yeah. Didn't really sound it, did it, Matt? Yeah, I know you did. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. We're going to do this together. Don't make me do this on my own. Here we go. We ready? Let's look at our first point. Who is God? Psalm 8. This is one of the most beautiful, succinct psalms in the Psalter. That's what they call it. This is the book of Psalms. It's our first hymn of praise. We've had seven psalms so far, some wisdom psalms, some lament, and here we have the first really clear-cut hymn of praise. Let's see what happens. Let's check it out. Verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Starts off with a beautiful phrase of adoration. What does it say? God, you're amazing. That's what it says. God, you're amazing. There's no one like you in the whole world. God, you're amazing. There's no one like you in the whole world. But there's more to this sentence. There's more to this sentence. There's some intimacy here. Check it out, those first few words. That first Lord in capitals, it's not just the general term for God. It is God's personal name, Yahweh. God reveals his personal name to Moses when they're chatting at the burning bush. Moses says, okay, you want me to free your people. Who am I to go back there and say, sent me? He says, tell them Yahweh sent you, which means I am who I am. I will be who I will be, right? This is the personal name of God. This is important. And the next two words are our Lord, okay? Now, that Lord just kind of means general master. So we have Lord, Yahweh, as in the God of the universe, the one who flung the stars in the space, the amazing, majestic God is our God. Just think about that for a moment. The immense God is our God. This is this covenant relational thing going on. It's quite amazing, isn't it? God is our God. The amazing God is knowable. He's made himself known. Don't let that pass you by. Don't ever let that become commonplace. Our amazing God is noble, and we can call him our Lord. Let's move on. You've set your glory in the heavens. So his majesty is present when we look up at the heavens. It's not the extent of his amazingness. It's not, his, his awesomeness is greater than that, but certainly his majesty is on display when we look up. Now, the ancient Israelites use this term, the heavens, to really describe basically anything they saw when they looked up, particularly at night. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to a time now when you were out of Sydney, okay, when you were in the country. Can you, can you think about it for a moment? Maybe you were out in the ocean. You know, maybe you were out in a, a, a rural Australia. Where were you somewhere away from the bright city lights where this was you? 
just experiencing God in the sky. Can you think about it? I know Sean and Ellie, you've just been in Tasmania for a few weeks. You're nodding your head. You think, yep, yep, this is, this is it. Have you ever done this? Have you ever looked up and just marveled at what you saw? Planets, stars, shooting stars, the moon. Are you there? Right. David, who wrote this psalm, he's saying God's majesty is on display. He is awesomeness. We've got that. Okay. But there's more. It is actually revealing God's glory. Now, what does that mean? Stay with me. Let me explain. This is awesome. His majesty means more of his outward spectacular nature. Like, wow, that's cool. Like, it's easy to look up and think, wow, that's amazing. But then go on more of an existential journey, okay? Go on more of a, that's amazing. And then you begin to, who did this? You look up and, who is responsible for this? You are now beginning to understand his glory. You're beginning to behold his glory. You begin to ask these questions. Who, who, who did this? Who is this God that flung the stars into space, that held the sun, this enormous burning ball of gas in his hand? Who made the uncountable stars, let alone the uncountable galaxies? Who is this? And you start to become overawed with who God is. This is when we start to experience his glory, his more inward nature. The Hebrew word for glory also has the meaning of weight. Right? This is God's weightiness, when you start to feel his awesomeness. That is when we start revealing, he starts revealing his glory. Now, when I prayer walk this area around our place and around here, this is part of my prayer, that people would somehow experience the glory of God, would experience his weight, that somehow through the presence of the Holy Spirit, they would experience the weight of who God is, that they would begin to comprehend the divine, that their spirit would be motivated to want to know who this great God is that flung the stars into space. It's part of my prayer as people enter into church here at Harborside, that they would meet people who are redeemed and who are being Christ-like, and so the, the weight of the divine is there. When people come in and they just experience, yes, a great cup of coffee, yes, a great morning tea, great music, hopefully a decent sermon, but more than that, that I would experience the, the presence of God, the weightiness of God, the glory of God. So this view gives the author of the psalm cause to, to praise him, yes, in awe of him, but you know what, it actually moves him to sing joyfully, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, verse 2, let's check it out. That's another saying there. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So God's majesty and his glory is on display when we look up, right? when we see the amazingness of his creative power, but also it's present in his tiny creative power, especially in new life. Let me ask you, have you held a newborn baby recently? I know there's a few of us, particularly Dinesh and Sam, you've been holding little Oscar in the wee hours of the night. You've got lots of experience with this. But I'm sure many of us have held a newborn baby. It is something to behold when they're not projectile vomiting and when they're not crying, but it is an amazing thing. When you, you just look at them, and I love, I love telling babies, watch out, new parents. I love mothers. I'm coming. When you just 
see their nose, tiny little nose, you know, when you, when you see their ears, little tufts of hair on them, when you, I love this, when you see their tiny little toes, their tiny little fingers, my favourite bit is seeing the tiny little finger fingernail on a newborn. It is minuscule. This is giving God glory. This is, God has moulded them. He has knit us together and shaped us, knit us together in a mother's womb. This is giving God's glory, giving God glory, rather. And even the little noises that little Oscar and Naomi and Oliver and Alistair and Maisie and Banjo make, even the little noises they make, give glory to God because they somehow give witness to his creative power in the minute. Isn't that amazing? And even more than that, I think our toddlers and our children can also bear witness to God in profound ways. You might have had this experience as a parent or as a a godparent or an auntie or an uncle or a friend or something like that, when kids just kind of knock you over with their incredible, sim- incredibly simple faith, and I don't mean simple in a derogatory sense, often now we're blown away with how our kids just nail us with truth. They just say, yeah, we know. We know we can trust God with that. I have been praying, Mum. I-, I have been praying, Dad. Just, oh, okay, how come you- your friend wanted to come to church? I've been praying that he'd come. Oh, we shouldn't be surprised. Don't ever be so arrogant, so prideful to think you can't learn something from a little one. Spurgeon says this, I love it. How often will children tell us of a God whom we have forgotten? How doth their simple prattle refute those learned fools who deny the being of God? Isn't that good? Amen to that. Okay, we've stood together, haven't we? And we're born witness to the majesty of God. Let's move on. Who are we then? What's our place? Let's keep reading. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind? They're your mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. Okay, take yourself back to this place. Take yourself back there, looking up at the sky on a clear night. And what are we thinking? Amazing. God's amazing. Wow, that's cool. You've moved from the, that's impressive, to the, oh, this is something to bolt. Who is this God that did these things? And then let's keep moving. Let's keep moving on that path. I think the logical next step is, who the heck am I? Who am I? God, you are, you flung the, you help. I am but a speck in your universe. Have you ever felt dwarfed by creation? Now, it might be looking up at the sky. Maybe it's, I don't know, on the ocean, or have you been to the Grand Canyon or something like that, or a mountain range, the Alps? I mean, you truly feel dwarfed by creation. You experienced that? And have you experienced, who the heck am I in comparison? In contrast to the enduring natural elements of the world, we humans come late on the scene, live fragile and troubled lives, depart quickly, and truth be told, Leave behind little noticeable mark. The author of Ecclesiastes agrees with this. He always agrees with stuff like this. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Let me tell you, my friends, we are dust. 
James 4.14 says, our life is a vapor. What is that? A mist, a morning mist. You blow, it's gone. The sun comes up, burns it away, it's gone. Peers for a little while and then vanishes. Now, I know many of you thinking, thanks for the G up, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks for the pep talk. But let me tell you, this is good for our souls. This is good. Without this perspective, humans can get into a lot of serious trouble. But the story does not end here. That, that has to be so important. This is good for our souls, this perspective, but doesn't end here. Let's get to verse 4, such an awesome verse. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that, we, that you care for them? Who are we compared to you? And yet, this is not a cry of despair by, the author, by David, right? It's not a cry of despair. It's not some sort of sniveling grovel to a higher authority. It's sheer wonder at the relationship God has fashioned between us and him. Now, let me unpack that for a second because this is tectonic. Notice two things in this of what God says in relating to us. He is mindful and he cares. Who are we that you have us in mind? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about God has you in mind. You are on the mind of God. God has you in mind. You thought about that? How many love songs are written about this sort of concept? Baby, you're on my mind, you're on my mind. Have you ever had an experience like that when someone's on your mind? I mean, it's called dating, right? We've all been there. I mean, that, this was Pip and I, our dating lives. Our, our sort of thoughts were consumed by each other. We'd be calling right late into the night. We'd be texting. I mean, texting was very, very prehistoric back then, but we did it a little bit, and you're out into all hours of the night, and you just, your thoughts are consumed with each other. You have each other on your mind. It's like that with you and God. It's an outrageous thought, isn't it? But it's true. You are on the mind of God. He hasn't forgotten you. How often do we feel that? I'm forgotten. I'm nothing. I'm tiny compared to him. Who am I? He's, he, can, he must be hanging out with better Christians, you know, Christian leaders, people who are more impressive. But me, you are on the mind of God. He remembers you with incredible fondness and with loving care. That's the truth. If you think that's grand, let's keep moving. That was our minuteness, okay? Now let's look at our majesty. I mean, I even I shudder to say that, but it's true from what we see here. Let's look, verse 5. You have made them, that's us, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. So we've seen God in his awesomeness as creator in the heavens and in the minute, haven't we? We've seen that. In comparison, we are but tiny specks, and yet we are his beloved on his mind and he cares for us, but there's more. We see here our identity and our purpose. Let's check out our identity, right? Who are we? I mean, man, we could do a series on that. Who are we? Who do you think, who do you really think you are? Who are we? Well, we've been created a little lower than the angels. It's kind of a strange concept, isn't it? Now, we were created on the same day as the animals. If you go back to Genesis 1, day 6, we share that with animals. And truth be told, we share a fair bit with our animal creaturely folk, don't we? We breathe, we are finite, we are dependent on God for our sustenance, aren't we? 
So we, we have one foot in the creaturely camp. We also have another foot in the divine realm. We are made in the image of God a little lower than the angels. We are respect compared to God, and yet he has crowned us with glory and honour. Outrageous thought. Who the heck are we to receive this? God is truly good to his people. Now, that's our identity. Made in the image of God, a little lower than the angels. This is an incredible dignity. That's our identity. Let's now look at our purpose. Verse 6. You made them, that's us, rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Now, this very much recalls Genesis 1 and 2, doesn't it? The creation account. Not only are we made in the image of God, we are given the position a little lower than the angels. It's a mind-blowing identity. And we are also given an important responsibility. We are to rule. Have you thought about that? We are to rule. Rule as God would rule in his place. Now, what does that mean? It means we are God's vice-regent, okay? It's a little bit like we're given the responsibility to rule a little bit like a foreign diplomat. Imagine a foreign diplomat in another country. They are speaking with the head of state of that country with authority, aren't they? It's a borrowed authority from their home country, right? They're not free to make decisions on their own, but they speak with the authority of. Never make decisions independently. It's the same with us. We bring order out of chaos like our God does. We bring flourishing to our sphere of influence like our God does. Now, this, I believe, has a fair bit to say about the issue of conservation. Don't you? God is not a God of destruction, darkness, and death, is he? He is a God of light, of redemption, of creation, of goodness, of fruitfulness. Should we be? I believe this should characterize the Christian person. At least, at the very least, every believer has a duty of care to conserve our beautiful earth. It's clear, isn't it? Now, I want to say something here. All of what we just talked about, particularly in talking about our identity and our role, our purpose, it has enormous importance. If we forget it, which is true for much of our culture, right? If we forget these things, our identity and our purpose handed down from God, if we forget these things, I believe we, can, we have the danger of going down two different pathways, right? One pathway, pathway of arrogance and a pathway of despair. Let me explain that. Pathway of arrogance, pathway of despair. Let me explain that pathway of arrogance for a moment. What happens if we forget God altogether? You know, we forget his infinite majesty as creator, forget that we've been the given, given the mandate to rule like him. If we lose our accountability, human pride and arrogance will grow like an out-of-control weed. And we've seen it, haven't we? We can think, well, we're accountable to no one. Think about it. You know, cor- corrupt company executives, they can pollute rivers and oceans, strip the forest bare and think, who cares? The board of directors is fine with it. That's our higher authority. Who do we answer to apart from them? No one else. If we can get away with it, no worries. If the dollars keep rolling in, who are we accountable to? See? Or we can treat other creatures, animals, however we like, because we are smarter than them. We're more capable. We can dominate them. We're not accountable to anybody else. 
We are the most advanced result of evolution, so let survival of the fittest, strong dominate the weak, let that be our rule of thumb. We're accountable to no one. You see what it breeds? Yes, we've been given the mandate to rule, and I think Christians have, have used this incorrectly to do whatever they like, to use and abuse, absolutely wrongly. We have been given the mandate to rule, but it is authority that is a borrowed authority. Okay, that's going down the path of arrogance. Here's another danger. If we lose the truth that we are made in the image of God, made a little lower than the angels, we can also go down a road of despair. Now, what does that mean? Well, take yourself back again to sitting up, admiring the heavens and thinking, who am I in in comparison to all this? And what if you have not been taught the truth that you were created by a loving God? And what if you then turn to secular humanism, which says nothing before, nothing after, just go and enjoy your mist-like life? Where do you think that can lead? If we tell our children these hopeless lies, and I believe that is a hopeless lie, what should we expect? What do you think the result should be? If we sow the seed of godlessness, what do you think we will reap? The answer is despair. And we are seeing it in epic proportions, aren't we, in our culture? Despair at that worldview. You are not a mistake. You are not the product of an indifferent universe. You have immense value. You were made in the image of God. You are not a radically individualistic, autonomous self. That's the truth. You were made by God with a purpose and accountability for our good, and woe to us if we forget it. Okay, let me just uh, let me illustrate this point. Let me finish this point, and then we're going to finish quite shortly with this story. Check out this photo. Here's a picture of a bunch of kids from Memminger Elementary School in South Carolina, the USA. Have you seen this? It's kind of making the round on the socials. It's a really fascinating story. I love it. Raymond Nelson, he's pictured, he's the teacher at the back right. He's a teacher at this school. He noticed in his classes there are lots of kids from underprivileged homes, and uh, many of them without a father at home, and they were not doing well. A lot of them were struggling with their results, struggling with behavioural things, and uh, often getting into trouble, and he decided to do something about it. He's formed this little crew. Don't they look awesome in their, like, suits and ties and stuff? It's pretty cool, eh? It's called the Gentleman's Club, or recently they've just renamed it to Boys With Purpose. Okay. He's formed this, this little club. Their motto is look good, feel good, do good. Many of these kids can't afford the nice jackets and ties that you see, and so Raymond sort of keeps a donated stash. He goes around trying to find people to donate these cool clothes. Now, Raymond wants to teach these kids life lessons. They have lessons like, you know, how to shake hands, how to look somebody in the eye, how to treat girls, women with respect. He wants to show these kids that someone cares enough about them to invest in them. Isn't that great? Raymond says this, I know a lot of them struggle because a lot of them don't have men at home. So I just want them to grow up and think of these things that I teach them. They like the reaction of walking into a classroom and someone saying, oh, you look so nice and handsome. They just love it. I love this. He says, I mean, when was the last time you saw someone fighting in a tuxedo? Smart. This is great. There is something of God in this. Can you see it? Now, what's the teacher doing? He's giving these kids an identity, isn't he? 
He's saying, you aren't a fighter. You aren't a loser. You aren't a nobody. You're a young man. But what does that mean? Oh, well, let me teach you what that means. He's giving them an identity, and he's teaching them how to walk in their identity. There's something of God in this. Does this sound familiar? God gives us a profound identity, child of his, made in his image, and he teaches us how to walk in our purpose. Our psalm for today ends with verse 1 again, the same one. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 1, verse 9 are the same, and it's on purpose. You say verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And yeah, you're moved by it. It sounds amazing. And then you experience the psalm. And then you experience the true majesty of God and experience his glory and experience who are we compared to you and experience the identity he's given us and the purpose he's given us. And then you go to verse 9 and then you say, oh, Lord, our Lord, how truly majestic is your name in all the earth. I'll close with this. We talked about... I love it. I'll close with this. You can say that. I might have 25 minutes to go. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say it. I'll close with this. Could be 25 minutes left. We'll see. No, I promise. I love it how preachers do that. Before, we talked about how amazing it was that we were on the mind of God. I hope that blew you away a little bit. You should. We talked about, oh, how amazing it is that we are on the mind of God, that the infinite creator of the universe thinks about us. Well, the extent to which he remembers us, thinks about us, moves towards us, moves towards us, is extraordinary when we think that the creator of the universe chose to become like us, became a human being, limiting himself to a physical body to bridge the gap between us. That's how much God has thought of us. How majestic is your name in all the earth? We talked about God crowning us with glory and honor, didn't we, from verse 5? That's him. Who are we to receive a crown? You're the king of the universe. No, no. He gives us dignity. I think that's amazing. Jesus, the God-man, the prince of heaven, wore a crown of thorns, humiliated, beaten. Why? To bring us back to himself. The king of the universe took off his crown, got off his throne, became one of us and put on a crown of thorns, humiliated for you and for me. How majestic is your name in all the earth? We talked about God's glory revealed in the heavens before, or or maybe in the Alps or the Grand Canyon, whatever it is. His majesty and glory are truly on display in creation. Let me tell you, his glory is infinitely on display when we look at the cross. When we fully understand what occurred there, that the Son of Man, the creator of the universe, hung on a cross for you and for me, died our death that we deserve, when we contemplate this, the weight of it is almost too much to bear. You would be excused to have to sit down to consider it. It's almost too much to comprehend. There, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, chose to give his life as a ransom for many, to defeat sin, death, and the evil one, to call us children of God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.